The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to go ahead and stand with me as we read God's Word this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter number 3. We're going to start reading in verse number 14. Thanks so much for coming to worship with us here this morning at Ambassador Baptist Church. Uh, typically, what we do here at Ambassadors, we'll take some time and we'll go through books of the Bible, or Pastor will go through series. Um, we just finished one going through the book of Ephesians in the spring. During the fall, we're going to be going through one through the book of John. It's going to be really exciting. But during the summer month, what we like to do is we like to just take a few passages and kind of work through those individual passages each week. And this week, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter number 3, picking it up in verse number 14. The Bible says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, so this is what Paul is praying for, he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. You may be seated. I can't tell you what a joy it is to be back here at Ambassador Baptist Church, and I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for giving my family and I the opportunity of uh, getting away for a family vacation, and I really enjoy the opportunities just to make some memories with my children, and uh, those of you who have kids and grandkids, you know how important it is just to take some of those times to create those memories, to spend time with them, so I want to say to you as a church family, thank you so much for giving us that opportunity. Uh, this time around was a little bit different for me. I spent two weeks uh, just spending some time with my family, refreshing, just kind of making some memories. And then a few months ago, I talked to the deacons about the possibility of taking a little bit of extra time at the end uh, to begin writing. Uh, about a year ago, the Lord put it on my heart and started to give me a burden uh, to write. Much of what's happening in our country, much of what is taking place and what we're learning uh, through the scriptures. And I, I'm just getting a stronger and greater burden to put a lot of this into writing and to begin to put some books together. And uh, so they gave me the opportunity to do that. Uh, it was a tumultuous experience. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, diving into that for the very first time has been a huge learning experience. I was able to get through about 10,000 words of my first book, and I'm looking forward to sharing that here with you guys in the upcoming months. And uh, depending on how God gives me seasons to be able to dive in and finish up those writings uh, will depend a lot on how we unveil it and when it's made available to our church family and those types of things. So that's why this time around was maybe a little bit different uh, than normal. But we had a great time. Maybe in the future I'll share some stories uh, about some uh, uh, experiences that my family and, ha and I had. But we just had a wonderful time. And so I just wanted to say thank you. If you're here and you have kids or maybe, uh, you know, younger, I want to encourage you. Uh, man, take a family vacation, and I can't, I'm not saying this from the Bible, this is not like a command from our church, I'm just, I'm encouraging you in a spirit of wisdom, uh, especially for those of you who have young, young kids, and make those memories with them. Uh, how many of you who have parents, uh, kids who have moved out of the house, how many of you would say amen to the fact that time just flies by? How many of you would agree with that statement? And it seems like kids were, they were born, and then before you knew it, they were out of the house, and time just goes so quickly. And so I want to encourage you, those of you who uh, have young children in their home, take those times. And, and depending on how your work schedule works, and I know we're all in different 
kind of situations, but I want to encourage you, take that time for your family, for your kids, for grandkids, and uh, I know it's one that the Lord will truly, truly bless. Today I want to take the opportunity of speaking on the subject of experiencing God. Um, We're going to be focusing mainly on Ephesians chapter number 4, and uh, verses number 19 is where we're going to pick it up in just a moment. Let me tell you a story, and then we'll get into our text here. Uh, About six weeks ago, I was invited to speak at a Bible conference down in Southern California, and every once in a while, the Lord will open up opportunities for me to speak in different places, and so... Uh, I prayed through it and really felt like it was something that the Lord would have me to do. And and there were several other speakers that were a part of this particular Bible conference. And I spoke for several evenings with people that many of you uh, would be familiar with, folks that have maybe been in our pulpit here before. And and, uh, it was a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And uh, I was preaching each evening and really had a sense of maybe where the Lord wanted me to preach from and how he wanted me to move through the process. And it was the final evening of the Bible conference, and I would say there was probably about 500 folks uh, there on the particular Wednesday evening. And I was sitting there listening to a preacher preach who was preaching before me. I was going to close out the Bible conference. I was going to be the last speaker. And I was sitting there, and as I was sitting there listening to the preacher preach, I began to get this incredible just sense from the Holy Spirit that what I had prepared to preach for those folks was not what the Lord wanted me to preach in that moment. And for a pastor, a preacher, that is a horribly terrifying experience, all right? Here I am, I've been preparing for weeks, been praying, been seeking the Lord's face, felt like he wanted me to speak on the subject of prayer. And I had a message that I had written, a message I had prepared. I had 12 pages of notes ready to go, and I was excited about sharing with these folks on the subject of prayer. And as this sermon was going on, it was Kurt Skelly. Some of you might be familiar with him. He was preaching before me. And uh, as the sermon was going along, I was getting this deeper and deeper sense that this sermon on prayer was not what the Holy Spirit of God was wanting me to preach on. And, And then I started battling in my heart. Because I'm looking at the clock, it's getting closer, I'm thinking, what, what do I do, you know? I didn't have another set of sermon notes up there, I didn't really know what maybe the Holy Spirit was wanting me to speak on, and I was just overwhelmed with almost anxiety as I'm sitting there. I'll, I'm going to be honest with you, I had a really hard time concentrating on what the preacher was teaching on, because I was just struggling in my soul, and the clock was ticking down, and I was like, what do I do? And literally, and I, I hate to say this, but there was a moment where I thought to myself, I'm not going to do what the Holy Spirit tells me to do. Nobody out there will know, right? That was the thought I had. And I thought, you know what? How do I get up there and preach and teach on something different than I've prepared and, and gotten ready for? And so I'm thinking, I'm just going to get up there. Okay, so, so maybe God doesn't bless the way he wants to, but it's still his word. It'll still work. It'll, it'll all be fine. And it was getting closer. They had the prayer, and the MC got up, introduced me. And I'm just, I'm like, this is, I'm just battling in my soul right now. I'm like, what in the world am I supposed to do? All I've got is a sermon for this subject, and I don't feel like the Lord is giving me peace to preach it. And they prayed, and when he said amen, I was literally, I was literally, I'm walking up to the platform, and I'm thinking, Lord, what in the world am I supposed to do? So I went through the generalities, thank you, and it's been great to be here, God's working, and then all of a sudden I just stopped it, and I said, I'm going to be entirely transparent, about 500 folks there. 
I said, I came up here with a sermon ready to preach. I had talked to Kurt Skelly about it the day before. We were kind of going through it. And I said, I'm going to be honest with you. For whatever reason, I can't explain it, but the Holy Spirit of God is giving me zero peace to preach this sermon right now. I said, I don't know exactly what the Lord wants me to preach on, and so I'm going to pray. When I'm done praying, if the Holy Spirit doesn't give me anything to say, I'm going to sit down, and we've heard some wonderful preaching, and it'll be a wonderful time, and we'll spend some time in prayer, and we'll go our way. I said, or (laughs) the Holy Spirit will come through, (laughs) and he'll share what it is he wants me to teach on today. And I prayed And I will be honest with you, I was praying prayers of desperation. I was seeming calm on the outside as I was praying with these 500 folks in that auditorium. And inside, I was as scared as I had ever been. I mean, all literally I had was my Bible, and I preached a sermon. And God did something really, really unique that night. It was, uh, and I can't put my finger on it, but it was special. We had a prayer meeting that kind of started after it that went on longer than normal. A lot of people just kind of uh, taking time to spend, spend time with the Lord in prayer. Afterwards, I had a line of about 35 people man, wanting to talk about certain things that had come up. I had a, a deacon of the church. The head deacon came up to me, and he said, I need to see your notebook right now. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I cannot, I, I, it's hard, I'm just having a hard time believing that you preach that without any notes. So I handed him my notebook, you know, and he looked through it, he said, I can't believe that. And I said, I can't explain it either, but I said, I believe the Lord had something for us. And I'll explain at the end of the sermon why I think God did what he did in the way in which God did it. But today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to preach you that sermon. Since then, I've had the opportunity of going back and writing notes for it, you know, (laughs) jotting things down, and and I was thankful for that. But it's something God really convicted my heart about, really challenged my heart, and I think at this state in our country, I think for this moment as a church family, I think we need to grasp hold of this that I've alluded to in the past, but we're going to spend some time really unpacking it in a deeper way here this morning, And, and I hope that each and every one of us will really have an opportunity uh, just to seek the Lord in a unique and special way. Let me read our theme verse one more time. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 3 and verse number 19. And to know, this is interesting, the word know here is the word gnosko. This is important to notice. And to gnosko, that's the Greek word for the word know, to gnosko, to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Now, the word knowledge in the original Greek language is not the word gnosko. It is the word gnosis, which is interesting. Why would the same word, know and knowledge, in other places in the Bible, they are translated both gnosis, and in other places they can both be translated gnosis. So why in this particular passage does the Bible say that we might know, that we might gnosis the love of Christ which passes knowledge, which passes gnosis, all right? And I believe as we unpack this, I think God's going to really show us something that I believe is incredibly vital in our parenting, 
is super vital as we raise grandchildren, as we are becoming the church members that God wants us to be. And I believe God wants to speak to us in a, a unique and special way. Let me pray real quick, and then we'll dive into it. Dear Heavenly Father, God. Lord, Ambassador Baptist Church needs to experience you in a very unique and special way. I'm thankful for the knowledge in which you've blessed us with. The information, Lord, that we glean through Bible studies, that we glean through conversations with godly people. But Lord, what I'm praying for today is that at this point in our nation's history, at this point in our church's history, and in this point as individuals, Lord, that we would come to a place where we would transcend, Lord, just knowledge. That we would say, thank you, and we would feel blessed for the knowledge that we have. But we would not be content with knowledge alone, but that, Lord, we would see and come to desire something deeper and greater and more than just cognitive, intellectual cerebral information, Lord, but that we would come to experience you afresh and anew, Lord, in a way that only you can do in us and through us. I pray that you'd bless, Lord, the remainder of this service, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Many of you would be familiar with a character in the Old Testament by the name of Moses. Moses was a man that here came and he was used of God to lead the children of Israel out of captivity. But what is interesting, while Moses knew much about God in kind of a knowledge sense, he was a man who was very timid in his leadership. In fact, the Bible says that when it came to his speaking ability, he would often stutter. He'd have a hard time communicating his thoughts with words. You wouldn't see him as being the first candidate to be a, a nation's leader leader. And yet something happens from a place where Moses is saying, I'm not the leader that I would like to be. I I don't communicate the way that maybe I feel like I can communicate. And all of a sudden, fast forward a few years, and here is Moses. And literally, he is leading a nation of two million plus people. What happened? How did Moses go from being in a place where he stuttered, he felt insecure, he felt timid about his leadership abilities, and then all of a sudden, a few years later, He's literally leading an entire nation. How does that happen? Uh, Let's talk for a moment with the disciples. How do the disciples go from a moment where they have locked themselves in an upper room, literally scared for their lives, literally just, I mean, overwhelmed with anxiety that maybe their life is going to come to an end. They've shut the doors, they've bolted the locks, and then all of a sudden you fast forward a few months and boldly they are standing up, proclaiming and preaching the word of God to where literally thousands of individuals are coming to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Christ in Jesus Christ alone what happened to these disciples where they went from this moment of being timid and scared where now all of a sudden they are filled with utter boldness what what took place what happened in the life of the apostle Paul a man who knew the scriptures like few other people knew the scriptures a man who understood religious things but was using it to persecute the church 
Then all of a sudden, fast forward a few months, and here he is, literally the leader of the church. He literally becomes one of the apostles. God, by his Holy Spirit, uses him to literally be the human author of much of what we refer to now as our New Testament. What took place? How do you get Moses from being timid and scared to all of a sudden leading a nation? How do we take disciples who are afraid for their lives and fear of even going out to all of a sudden now? Now they are with boldness proclaiming the message of Jesus. How do you get a, an, a, a Paul who was once known as Saul, who is persecuting the church, and now all of a sudden he becomes one of its leaders and God uses him great. What happened in those cases? I want to say this. In each and every one of those cases, there was more than just information that was given. Each and every one of those individuals, those groups of people, experienced God in a very unique and special way. For Moses, that experience came at a burning bush. It wasn't just he had learned a little bit more about God. No, he had an experience with God that was fresh and that was new and that was powerful. And that experience changed everything. For those disciples, as they were timid and scared, and then something happened. A resurrected Savior walked through the walls. Doubting Thomas was able to put his fingers in the, very, in the very nail scars of Jesus. These disciples saw Jesus resurrected in the flesh. It was an experience with God that changed everything. It wasn't just a message from a couple of ladies saying the tomb was empty. It wasn't just new information. They experienced God like they had never experienced him before. The Apostle Paul, here he is on the road to Damascus. He's getting ready to persecute. Christians. Then all of a sudden, a few months later, God's using him to begin to be a leader of the church. What happened? He had an experience with God on that road. In each of these cases, it wasn't just another Bible study that changed his life. It wasn't just a little bit more information that changed his life. It wasn't just a little bit more uh, details or factoids from the Word of God. It was an experience that was fresh, an experience that was new, that literally changed their lives forever. And that is exactly what this passage here is talking about. Notice what the Bible says here in verse 19. Paul is encouraging the church at Ephesus and he's saying, I want you to know, gnosko, he says, the love of Christ which passeth gnosis, which passeth knowledge. Here's what God's saying through the Apostle Paul. I want you to, I want you to, no, in a way that passes knowledge. How does that happen? How do you know God in a way that passes knowledge? How do you get to know Christ in a way that passeth knowledge? I believe the answer is found in the etymology of these words. So on the screens, I want you to see the word knowledge here. In this particular passage, the word knowledge is the Greek word gnosis. All right, here's what gnosis means. It means intellectual understanding. So here in this passage, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, I want you to know, I want you to know Christ in a way that passes just intellectual understanding. I've got something more for you than just study. Studying is good. Bible studies are good. 
Bible knowledge is good. Bible information is good. And Paul says, but it's a stepping stone, not the mountain's pinnacle. No cease is a stepping stone, not the mountain's pinnacle. Bible studies and Bible information and Bible knowledge is a wonderful gift from God, but it is not the pinnacle. It is not the end all. It is not ultimately what it is all about. No cease is not the end. It is part of the process. He says, I want you to knowledge, no cease, simple intellectual understanding. 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, verse 1 says this, we know that we all have no cease. So the Apostle Paul writing the church at Corinth, we know cease that we all have no cease. We intellectually understand that we all have intellectual understanding. That's what this passage is teaching. But then he goes on to say to the church at Corinth, no cease, this is the word that's being used in the Greek, no cease puffeth up. Did you know that no cease makes Christians proud and arrogant and self-righteous? Now, understand the spirit in which I say this. The Bible tells us to study to show ourselves approved unto God. It is a good thing to no cease the scripture, according to 1 Timothy. But when we see the gnosis of the scripture as being the end rather than just part of the process, it puffs up. It causes us to become arrogant and self-righteous and proud. This is why in many churches, some of the most arrogant, proud, self-righteous people are the ones who attend the Bible studies the most. Because we know cease, that we all have no cease, but no cease puffeth up. No cease by itself makes you self-righteous. No cease by itself puffs you up. No cease by itself causes one to become arrogant and proud and self-righteous. And so we come back to Ephesians chapter number four, and I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter number three, And the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of Scripture, says, I want you you to know Christ in a way that is beyond just no cease. Because no cease alone will puff you up. No cease alone will cause you to look your nose down on everybody who doesn't quite have the no cease that you have. It will cause you to become arrogant about the no cease you have that others do not have. It'll cause you to become arrogant and proud and self-righteous. And so Paul says, I need you to know something that is beyond no cease. Because if you get stuck at no cease, no cease is good. We've got to get there. But if you get stuck there, you become arrogant. You become proud, self-righteous, judgmental, and critical of everybody and everything around you. And Paul says, this is no good. This is what happens to churches. They begin to see the end all as being spiritual, biblical information. A good thing. No cease. A gift from God. It is not the end all though. It is simply part of the process. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from the 19th century, he was known as the Prince of Preachers, pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England. This is what C.H. Spurgeon had to say. To know is not to be wise. Many know a great deal and are the greater fools for it. There is no fool as great as a knowing fool. 
Harsh words. C.H. Spurgeon is not downplaying information or biblical understanding or Bible study. In fact, if you know C.H. Spurgeon at all, you know he was huge. He had men in his church that had libraries with books over 10,000. And these are just lay people. These aren't, these aren't ministers. These aren't associate pastors. These are just lay people in his church. He was huge on gnosis. But he wanted his folks to understand that to stay at Gnosis, you miss out. It is not Gnosis that takes Moses from being timid and scared and get into a place where he's leading a nation. It was more than just a Bible study. It was more than just some, you know, word from God. It was an experience that changed his life. A burning bush that did not burn. An experience with God unlike he'd ever had before. And that experience experience what we're going to see in a moment that gnosis changed everything for the disciples it wasn't just information guess what jesus is risen that didn't change them they heard the information from the ladies when they came running back and said he's not in the tomb anymore the angel said he's not that's not what changed what changed is all of a sudden gnosis jesus resurrecting walking through the walls experiencing Christ in the flesh, they had an experience with the resurrected Savior. It was not the gnosis that changed them. It was the gnosis that changed them. For the Apostle Paul, if anybody knew the Old Testament scriptures, it was the Apostle Paul, Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew Old Testament scriptures, but gnosis didn't change him. It was Gnosis. On the road to Damascus, he had that information, but it wasn't until that information took an experiential form, an obedient form, we could say, that things began to change. Let's look at our next word here, verse 19. So Paul says, And to Gnosko, and to Gnosko, the love of Christ. What's Gnosko mean? Gnosko means experiential understanding. Okay, do you see the difference between the two? Gnosis is intellectual understanding. It is academic, it is cerebral, it is cognitive, and it is important. Okay, how many of you are glad that your kids are getting some gnosis in school? How many of you are thankful for teachers that impart gnosis to our kids? Gnosis is vitally important, but for a believer, it is not the end all. That's why the Apostle Paul says, I want you to gnosis, I want you to experientially understand the love of Christ, because that experiential understanding, notice what it says here, verse 19, it passes gnosis. It doesn't say, it doesn't say gnosis is not important, it just says it surpasses it. It's more important. Yeah, you got to get gnosis because that's where it starts. You can't, you can't get to gnosis without gnosis. But if you stay at gnosis, just an intellectual understanding, your life doesn't change. And here's what happens in so many of our churches. We have people running around and pastors can get into the situation where they know oh so much but they are experiencing, oh, so little. Gnosis, gnosis. Here's what Philippians chapter number three, verse nine says. 
Paul says, I want to be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Why? Why does he want the righteousness of Christ imparted to his count? That I might, if you look it up in the Greek, do you think that word is gnosis or gnosko? It's gnosko. That I might experientially understand him. This is not the word intellectually understand. This is the word that I might experientially understand him. That I might gnosis him and the power of his resurrection. What is missing in many of our churches is they are overwhelmed with no cease. They come to church, they'll get you no cease. They'll open a Bible, you'll get no cease. You go to small groups and get no cease. You go to Bible studies and get no cease. You open up the word each morning and get no cease. And it's important. Do not take this sermon as somehow I'm downplaying no cease. But what I am saying, it's not the end. Gnosis is a stepping stone, not the pinnacle of the mountain. Gnosis, gnosis, to experientially understand through personal experience, through personal obedience, through personal appropriation of those realities. That is what turns a timid Moses into a nation's leader. That is what turns some afraid disciples into bold evangelists. That is what takes a Saul who is against the church and turns him into a Paul that all of a sudden is leading in great and mighty ways the church. It's not Gnosis, it's Gnosko. And that's what he's saying here. That ye might Gnosko, that you might experientially understand that which passes intellectual understanding. I don't know if they'll have this on the screens or not, but it is possible to be a walking encyclopedia of Bible knowledge and know all the answers without really knowing him who is the answer. That's what Ambassador Baptist Church is about. Yes, let's do small group Bible studies. We need the Gnosis. Yes, let's have women's Bible studies. We need the Gnosis. Yes, let's get together for men's Bible studies. We need the Gnosis. Yes, let's come together and open up the Word of God because we need the Gnosis. Yes, let's proclaim the teachings of God's Word. Why? Because we need the Gnosis. But we need a Gnosko that surpasses the gnosis. We need an experiential, practical, functional understanding of it that is, that is forged in our hearts and our souls and our minds through obediently yielding and responding to that spirit of grace and that spirit of truth that goes way beyond just something that's intellectual, cerebral, cognitive. In that spirit, I place this statement on the screens. Experience is greater than knowledge. Obedient experience. While knowledge is important, while knowledge is good, while Bible study is awesome, while Bible facts are very important, obedient experience is more important. It surpasses. Gnosko surpasses gnosis. Let's not be the type of individuals who convince ourselves, well, since I gnosis the scriptures, I must be spiritually mature. 
Gnosis has nothing to do with spiritual maturity. Now, oftentimes, the people who have the greatest sense of gnosis also experience gnosko the most too. They tend to go hand in hand. But it is possible to be filled with gnosis, Bible information, Bible knowledge, and Bible truth, and have no gnosko. And that is one of the dangers facing the 21st century American church. Overwhelmed with gnosis, overwhelmed with intellectual understanding of scriptural things. What's going on in Revelations? Tell us about the Pentateuch. How does this play out? All this Bible information. And yet none of it is fleshed out in gnosko. And it makes for very weak, weak Christians. So let me say this as I wrap it up in conclusion experiences have more influence than knowledge. This is big, okay, especially if you have kids. I don't understand. How do I help my kids grow in Christ? I want them to develop, okay, start with gnosis, start with intellectual understanding, but create an environment in your home where they are also getting gnosis, experiential understanding, obediently responding experiencing for themselves answered prayers. When was the last time we've created an environment where our children and our grandchildren and our families don't, weren't just learning Bible lessons about how God answers prayer and how powerful God is and how big and great? When was the last time you just experienced answered prayer? We can tell our kids all day about, oh, how, how God, how he, he is joy and he gives joy unspeakable and full of glory and you can have little acrostics, J-O-Y, and sing songs and no cease your children to death. But you know what your kids need? They need to experience parents with joy. <laughs> they need parents who are happy, who gnosko the realities of joy. See, if we're not careful, the modern American church begins to believe that no cease is the end all, when it is simply a stepping stone. Now, let me get this in regards to kids. Your heart and their heart will always choose to move in a direction of experience over knowledge. Now, this, is, this, this might help some of us. Your heart is going to be drawn in a direction where the experience is strong, even if, it dis, even if it comes in conflict with the knowledge that you know. This is one reason why addicts struggle. They no-cease the health implications of the choices they make. They no-cease what it'll do to their physical, emotional, and spiritual health. They no-cease it. There's not a lack of no-cease. But the experience that they get in those moments far outweigh, even though it's a negative gnosko, an unhealthy gnosko, it's an experiential understanding of something that is far weightier and far stronger and far more influential than the simple gnosis that it's unhealthy. And this is why your heart will continually move in a direction toward gnosko rather than gnosis, even when the gnosko is unhealthy and negative. Let me say this. If your most vivid, dramatic, sensational, gratifying gnosis 
gnosis is, experiences, experiential understanding happen apart from God. It won't matter how deeply you intellectually understand the scriptures, your life and your heart will tend to move in the direction of your most vivid gnosis experiential understandings. Man, we take our kids to Disney, and I'm not not downing Disneyland, I'm not downing having fun with kids, I just spent two weeks doing it, okay? But if all our kids and all their best experiences are are apart from God, and they're excited and happy, and they see, that's when mom and dad are the happiest, and that's when they're most excited, and that's when they've got the most joy, that's when they've got the most peace, and all these experiences, and then we come to church, and they're like, we're going to go again, because the Bible says it's good. Yeah, you might be gnosising them something, but the gnosis, the experiential understanding, the truth is, the kids, teens will start to do things they know in their heart isn't healthy and isn't productive, but they'll choose it because it's a real experience. But can I say this? The Bible says in Psalms 34, verse 8, The psalmist David cries out and he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He says, I don't want you just to know, Sid. I don't want you just to know that he's good. I don't want you just to understand that he's good. I don't even want you to just study about how good he is and learn about how good he is and teach each other how good is it he is. I want you to taste this thing. I want you to see it with your very own eyes. I want you to gnosis it. I want you to experience it. I want your families to gnosis it. I want your children to gnosis it. I want them to taste his goodness. I want his goodness to be so sweet. It's like honey on their lips. It's an experience, but here's why. Because any real experience with God is more powerful than any experience the world has to offer. Any authentic, genuine experience with the almighty God of heaven. You show me a kid who grew up experiencing answered prayer after answered prayer and after after answered prayer, I will give him 10 times more chances than the kid who sat in Sunday school for 18 years just learning about how God answers prayer. There's a difference. Now, the gnosis of learning how to pray and the gnosis of understanding that God answers prayer often leads to the gnosis, experiential understanding that allows you to experience it. But to simply gnosis and not see the value of gnosis for your, for your own heart, for your marriage, for your children, for your family, and you miss out. You know what America needs right now? They need an experience with God. That starts with gnosis. It starts with the word. It just, it continues through what the spirit wants to do in and through our lives. If I were to stand here and say, okay, think of a, think of a time signature that is 4-4. Four, four. Now, I want you to imagine the key of C. And then I want you to imagine some major and minor chords. Say for a moment that I were to eloquently be able to describe an entire song for you using intellectual understanding of the key signature, the time stamps, the time, those of you who understand music, the chords, what key it's in. 
I could explain it till I'm dead. In, I, I could explain it forever and ever and ever. But how many of you would say, I think I would understand it if you just played the song. A lot of Christians run around telling everybody, God is, he's 4-4, <laughs> and he's a major chord, minor chord, and this chord, that chord. Yeah, that's good, that's important. You know what they need? They just need to experience it. They need to experience it through a Christian who's experiencing it. I'm not against Bible studies. I'm, I'm kind of for them. If you've been around here for any length of time, you know I am. But at the point that they begin to distract people from understanding that they are not an end-all, I'm against them. The moment you go to Bible study thinking you walked out of the Bible study more mature than you walked in simply because you learned, you got a dopamine fix, a dopamine kind of shot, you learned something new that ah, must be more spiritual. To that extent, they're harmful. To the extent that they convince you that you don't need Gnosko. To the point that they convince you that no cease is ultimately what it's all about. Or else all we'll do is we'll go around talking about time signatures and we'll talk about chord structures and we'll talk about timing and never just play the beautiful symphonies of Mozart. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I understand the peace of God. But if you're here today and you're living stressed out and you are frustrated and you are overwhelmed, you don't need another simple Bible study about the peace of God. You need to experience it afresh and anew for yourself. You need to experience the peace of God that passeth all understanding. You need to experience it. Maybe you're here today and, and you understand all about the joy of the Lord. You, you could give a whole Bible study. You could go to all the verses that talk about the joy of the Lord. You could tell us how we get the joy of the Lord and where it comes from. And you could be eloquent in your ability to deliver a sermon on where joy and how joy and all the... But you know, at the end of the day, if you're here and you're in the midst of unpleasant circumstances, you know what you need? You just need to experience the spirit of joy. You need to go beyond Gnosis and get to Gnosko. Beyond just intellectual, cerebral, academic understanding of something and get to a place where this joy is something you're experiencing. This peace is something you're experiencing. Yes, you know about how God answers prayer. You know all the passages in the Bible where God says he answers prayer and promises to answer prayer. When was the last time you had a prayer answered? That's what I'm asking. That's it. When was the last time you saw Almighty God answer a request that you made boldly before his throne? Because that one experience will be far more powerful in your own heart and the heart of your children than 10 Sunday school lessons, 10 Bible studies on prayer. I'm saying this. Gnosis is a blessing. Intellectual, cerebral, academic, religious, scriptural information is wonderful because it takes us somewhere to Gnosko. Paul says, I want you to Gnosko. I want you to experientially understand Christ in a way that passes Gnosis. Gnosis is good, but let's get beyond that. Gnosis is good, but we got to go deeper than that. Gnosis is wonderful, but there is more. You say, how do I experience God? Can I say, just begin to ask expectantly. Ask God in prayer to experience him. Experience what you already know to be true. Ask God to experience it in faith. And then obey 
in faith. Yield in faith. Respond in faith, believing that as you respond, God will let you go beyond just intellectual, academic, cerebral understanding, but he'll let you gnosko it. Experience it. And you will know it like you've never known it before. And then sometimes just take time to experience what he's just currently doing. For some of us, our lives are so busy. We're experiencing God all the time, and we don't even recognize it. God is working miracles all around, and we're so busy with this, and so busy with that, and so busy with these things, and so busy with those things. Like, we just, don't, we just need to calm our hearts and say, God, where am I experiencing you in this moment? That's fresh, and that is new. Spiritual satisfaction. Are you satisfied as a Christian? Are you content? Are you fulfilled as a Christian? Spiritual satisfaction is the result of experiential understanding. Gnosko, experiencing joy, experiencing peace, experiencing answered prayer, experiencing his provision, experiencing his joy, his presence, his comfort, his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace, and his strength. Spiritual satisfaction is found in gnosko, experiencing, not just in gnosis, in intellectual understanding. So I'm going to ask you this. Are you experiencing his beauty? Are you experiencing his magnificence? Are you experiencing his grandeur, the awe and the wonder of your God? Are you gnosko, gnoskoing, <laughs> your God? Gnosis is good. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Go to small group Bible studies. It's good for you. Go to ladies Bible studies and men's Bible studies. Come to church and hear the word of God opened up. But don't allow your heart to be deceived that gnosis is an end unto itself. That intellectual understanding is what makes someone spiritually mature. Satisfaction and fulfillment in your Christian life is not the result of knowing more. Satisfaction in your Christian life is experiencing more of what you already know. Gnosko. And so the prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, allow me to simply at this time pray for you. Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.